invite you to turn to the Passion Gospel narrative that was in your bulletin. We will do the Passion Gospel as a dramatic reading, and you are all invited to say together the parts identified as congregation. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen in this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. 
But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have, be- I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, and was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the, of the one was on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You 
In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, Bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From the top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, They were terrified and said, Truly this man was God's son. Many women were also there, looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. Then he rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. St. Augustine of Hippo, the great pillar of the church, once said that the church is not a school for saints, it is a hospital for sinners. In his picture of what the church is, he was alluding to, to the image of Jesus as the great physician who heals us of our wounds. And in the great tradition of the church in which preachers quibble with those who are long dead, I want to argue with St. Augustine, feeling secure in my belief that he will not appear to rebut me. (laughs) Because I think the church is both a hospital for sinners, 
and that Jesus is our great physician, and it is a school for saints. We are called to follow Jesus as our master, as in master-teacher, and we are his disciples, which is another word for students. So before going any further, I would like you to cast your mind back, maybe far back, maybe not so far back, to some point in your life when you were in some relationship with a teacher or a mentor, somebody who instructed you in such a way that your life was transformed and you learned or saw or did something that you never thought was going to be the case. Maybe just a friend, maybe somebody in your family. Think of some person who influenced you in such a way that you changed direction in your life. For Christians, Holy Week is the equivalent to maybe finals week for college students or a master class for disciples of a particular tradition. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and acting in the world, and his lesson plan is centered around the kingdom of God. That is the subject of his teaching for us. And his desire is that we should become inhabitants of the kingdom of God, which kingdom is different than and really at odds with every other worldly kingdom. After Jesus' baptism, when he's in the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan, Satan offers him all the kingdoms of this world, which Satan says belong to him. But Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, which is different from all the kingdoms of this world. In all of his lessons, point us to the kingdom of God and invite us to follow him in inhabiting and in walking in the territory of that kingdom, which he said is among us. Finally, we arrive at Holy Week and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is the location and the scene of his final and most important lesson. He's taught us to pay attention to God and not earthly rulers. He's taught us to share what we have with the poor and the hungry. He's taught us that it's possible to calm the storms of existential anxiety and to teach ourselves to trust in a loving God who never fails to provide what we need. He's taught us how to pray. He's taught us that the teachers of the church don't always know what they're talking about. He's taught us that you have to struggle in the good struggle to discover the deep truth about what it means to be created in God's image. But all those are minor lessons compared to the lesson that he offers us in his willing betrayal, arrest, and death. In this final lesson, Jesus offers us the most important lesson of all, which is that God, in God's creativity, in God's generosity, in God's love and care for God's own creation, 
God never stops making new life. You cannot stop life from being alive. And so even as he dies on the cross, Jesus is faithful to the true God who gives life, whether in joy or in sorrow and even in death. And as the Apostle Paul said, it was this faith in Jesus that caused God to transform Jesus from a human into the divine status that we ascribe to him. Jesus endured faithfully the shame of the cross and the indignity of dying betrayed, alone, and unattended by his disciples. He remained faithful to the kingdom that he preached and demonstrated by living and walking among us. This makes him our master because he never stopped living out the lesson that he preached. If you've taken any of my classes or workshops in the last year and a half or so here at St. John's, you've probably heard me offer this anecdote that comes from the ancient rabbinic tradition. The Mishnah, which is a Jewish commentary on scripture, offers this advice. The one who studies in order to teach is enabled to study and to teach. But the one who studies in order to practice is enabled to study and to practice, to teach and observe. The master teacher is the one who studies in order to practice. The disciples who follow the master teacher are invited to study in order to practice, which means putting into practice in our own lives the lessons of trust, humility, generosity, and fearlessness in the face of chaos that we see embodied in the person of Jesus, and all of which combine and lead ultimately to his triumph over death. It's not unique to Jesus, but he sets the pattern for us to follow so that we too can face into the world's kingdoms and proclaim God's kingdom, so that we too can face into our own mortality and know that God has more life in store for us when this body dies. So I invited you to think about a teacher in your own life who made a difference for you, who transformed your way of thinking, and I'd like to offer two small examples from my life to show you what I mean. One is actually from the life of one of my children, my older son Elijah, who entered first grade, as many boys do, imagining a future career as either an astronaut or a paleontologist. (laughs) In fact, we stipulated that it may be possible that by the time he's of age, Dinosaur bones will have been discovered on other planets, allowing him to be both an astronaut and a paleontologist. And he was pretty firmly committed to this career path until he met his first grade teacher, Maestra Nessa. Maestra Nessa was such a gifted teacher and had such an influence on Elijah that by the time he finished first grade and since then, his career goal is to grow up to teach first grade at the school where he currently attends. (laughs) In other words, he wants to be Maestra Nessa. She had such an impact on him that he abandoned 
his really reasonable goal of being an astronaut, paleontologist, to be a teacher. She turned his heart. In my own life, for the past two years, as many of you are by now probably tired of hearing me mention, I've been a student of a kind of Brazilian martial art called capoeira. It's incredibly demanding, and even the best practitioners of it regard themselves as students in a limitless body of knowledge and practice. And I had an example of this this past week when the teacher who led the class that I attended on Wednesday really, I have to say, really, she really turned it up to 11. And by the end of the class, I was exhausted and drained and struggling for breath, and you name it. And as one often does when one encounters a really great teacher leading one through a really great experience, I gave her some praise at the end of the class. Thank you. That was a great class. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, well, I have a lot to learn. I figure I might as well just drag you all along with me. (laughs) And I thought to myself, this is a teacher I want to follow. She sees herself as committed to a practice that is going to challenge and stretch her own discipline. So I can trust her, because a teacher is one who studies in order to teach, but a master teacher is one who studies in order to practice. Now listen carefully to the voices in the story that we heard this morning giving us advice about what we as disciples are to do in response to Jesus and his entry into this conflict over which he is triumphant. The Pharisees, at the beginning of the story, say to Jesus, instruct your disciples to stop. Of course, he doesn't. Jesus says to his disciples, stay awake. Pray with me. So we have a choice to make. We're going to listen to the Pharisees and stop being disciples of Jesus, stop learning about the kingdom of God, stop growing in our humanity, stop striving for God's promises, or are we going to listen and follow Jesus, pray with him, stay awake, and disciple ourselves to the master teacher who leads us in the way that leads to the Father and to eternal life. Welcome to Holy Week. The choice is yours.